This video has been brought to you by Real Life Ninjas. Purchase any of the t-shirt designs today and 20% of the proceeds will go to the Keeping the Lights On UK MMA fundraiser. Don't say anything I wouldn't say, Andy, and all that. No problem. Um, I've already issued to my uh, very limited audience that we shall not be talking about um, recent events in the football industry um, in relationship to broadcast, presentation, commentary or otherwise. Um, but we can talk anything else. Okay. Well, so we're going to let the room populate. Uh, who knows? Uh, again, because I'm so poorly organised, I haven't really uh, been throwing out all sorts of social media stuff around this. But we'll uh, we'll hopefully get a couple more people join us, and then we will make the relevant introductions. Let I, me see I if like I, to, I would like to say, John, that in. Um in app and broadcast terms, we are at the moment one of the. Um, uh, we're not the first to push our boats off the shore and search for South America, um, but we are certainly Europeans in galleons heading out. We're just not right at the front of the bunch. This is a brave new world of apps and broadcast. We might lead to nothing, we might discover the new world. <laughs> Exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, so, well, we're we're into it, Andy. So, I think I'll. We have a couple of people coming in now, so <clears throat> we should cater to our audience. So, I th let me uh, first off the bat say hello, John Gooden here. You may recognise the voice. I do speak with a UFC microphone, and I often do uh, some producing for them and other bits and pieces like that. And I'm delighted to be joined tonight by Andy Friedlander, a man who I met at the UFC and we have continued our friendship. He has imparted much wisdom in my direction. Uh, and I think that you should be getting involved in lots more things like this, Andy, because you have a very unique as we discussed earlier, perspective on sports broadcasting because you put on events. But of course, uh, you have held that UFC microphone yourself as well as many others. So I hope I'm not selling you short, but if you can give us a top line, Andy, of your resume, we'd be grateful. Absolutely. 5'11", 195 on a good day. Uh, brown hair, slightly balding it back. <laughs> Capricorn, cusp of Sagittarius, 47, game um, and uh, yeah, coffee's my thing. Um, broadly speaking, though, John, you're right. We met back then on the UFC. Um, I've been in front of the cameras and microphones at major sports events for 20 plus years, um, and certainly in the last 10, um, through my own business, have been producing major events. Um, and in a nutshell, that means as you take uh, a good example of the UFC, John, all you need is two guys knocked to get a decent referee. Um, and the correct equipment and a timer and some judges um, everything else that you build around that is what we do for many many other different sports so from content through to commentary through to uh, the lights the cameras the rigging the performances artistically the ceremonies the everything if you imagine um, that's how we consume sport as an entertainment medium now so uh that is my area of expertise. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think um, to put you in the loop of what we often speak about here, Andy, stuff... I wanted to ask that about what the guys need, what they want, what they're after, what they're interested in. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of taken me down probably all the different routes from where I thought it might. So I have been putting together a, a set of courses related to sports broadcasting in the areas that I feel like I've got a bit of experience. So interview technique, or rather asking good questions, commentary and presenting. So I thought that I'd be coming on here and people would be asking me lots of technical, very technical details about how all of that stuff works. Uh, alas, that has not been the case. And we've been getting into some very interesting areas about like authenticity uh, and social media, things of that nature. But uh, I see we uh, have a friend here, Tom, who I'm going to invite up. I'm sure uh, Tom has things to ask to, to kick us off and help us get along. Um, 
I just want to say, if anyone's just joining us, um, particularly Drew, I think, has just tuned in. Tom's coming up. Oh, he's gone. That was quick. Maybe he was in the hallway. Um, I'm absolutely happy to share any information, gems, insight, detail, anecdotes. We actually want to have a bit of a laugh if we're going to spend a Wednesday evening together. So um, Exactly. Yeah. Me on nicely to this question, then. I was going to ask you, actually. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been following both your careers for a while, Andy. I, I actually follow you on Twitter. Um, so this is quite like a little... I'm, I'm flattered nice you called it a career. Uh, I'm flattered you called it a career, Tom. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to ask you both. Obviously, you've, you've both moderated panels and, and, and fan forums and things. But, like, I mean, if you think about some of the characters that the UFC have had over the years, like the likes of Chuck Liddell and, and Tito, all the way up to John Jones and, and Daniel Cormier... I wanted to ask you, what, is, is there a moment in a press conference or even a, a fan forum when you're like, oh shit, we're actually losing control here. Like, what can we do? Um, I can, I'm happy to take that, John. Yeah, you do one, because I've definitely got an answer. Go for it. Yeah, so um, the, I think, skill, and, and it's not something you would necessarily pick up if you're in the audience of a TV show or a live arena event, is, so I've got a dog on my lap, um, but in reality, Tom, one should be able to play the talent as well as the audience in a way that they don't necessarily think you're controlling it. Um, and, and so I'll give you an example of that. We did a, oh God, I think it was Connor in Dublin, the big Diego Brandao event. And at the time I was hosting a Q&A kind of for, for fighters. We had a bunch of guests. And then also I got to do the post weigh-in interview where you get one question with each of the fighters and Connor just snatched the microphone straight out of my hand. Now, it's Connor, you're in Dublin. He's got 4,000 live fans. He's been losing weight. He's a train killer. So at that point, you have to make the decision, what am I going to do here? And all I did was dramatically jump out, lift up my arms. You can have a look. I'll try and send it to you somewhere on Insta. Um, and you, you accept that he's got more control than you have when you're trying to have a civilised debate or fight at start um, or any sports people start accelerating into an area where actually they're losing the audience interest or it becomes a little bit too uh, lacking in entertainment, then I think that's where professionals have to step in. That's where, you, that's where we're doing our job. But you, as I said, you wouldn't necessarily see that. It would almost be, oh, that was casual, but we're there, we're there to soften the blow between the audience and the talent. I, I have a... Uh, well, it was in one day where it went very wrong for me. So I thought I was doing a, a fairly good job. And I had CM Punk and Cowboy Cerrone. Um, let's just say I don't think Cowboy had been home from a night enjoying himself in Vegas. And we got on stage and things were going pretty well, apart from when there were some... Uh, inappropriate slurs from Cowboy, which actually I think mostly went over my head because it was a kind of moderating process and you're trying to see it, measure the crowd, the temperature and all that kind of stuff, keep things moving. But then a certain UFC fighter, Cajun Johnson, Canadian UFC fighter, had a bit of an issue with uh, CM Punk actually fighting in the UFC and getting paid, etc. So... He started really tearing into Punk. And I was looking over at Punk and, and he was kind of gesturing that he was okay. And I thought, well, I'm not going to... He's a man with a huge profile. <laughs> and it sounds like you're snoring. You might want to just press the oh, mute no. button no, on the not, mic. It's not me. It's I know me. it's your dog, but in it's the meantime... No, no, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry, dude. I it, didn't mean to uh, steal your story. No, 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 no. It's okay. But you might want to press that microphone mute button in the bottom corner. And then when you're right, there you go. Um, and so, yeah, he started tearing into to Punk and Punk was answering back and I was trying to figure out whether I should jump in or not. But then, you know, they're fighters and they're a bit like I can fight my own battles. But all of a sudden, um, Punk then turned around and goes, oh, and I was actually just hoping that John at this point would have jumped in by now. And I was like, oh God, kill me now. So uh, not a good day at the office in that sense. I had a conversation with him after and it was all good. Uh, but actually the, the the recording of it got pulled down due to some comments during that. Uh, it was at International Fight Week. So during that whole event, that which was unfortunate. But it's kind of 
how it goes sometimes. You you really do not know what's going to happen, but you are in charge up there. And sometimes with hindsight, I think you need to be a little bit more brave or I could have been. But I was on there with two very, very big stars, which which actually isn't an excuse. I just don't think that I was prepared for what transpired. Well, I was going to I was going to add to that, actually, John, without being critical of you, Tom, the reality is, if you're prepared and experienced, you should be able to handle all situations. Yeah. For example, what John's just described is, bluntly, it's more entertaining seeing, if you're in the audience, seeing CM Funk and Cajun Johnson having a verbal spat than it is to kind of stop that sort of moment in order to ask a civilised question about training regimens or weight cuts. You know, so actually, you know, what John just described was probably the best for the people in the crowd. They were going to love it. Um, and those also are the clippable moments right that everyone's then going to start promoting saying oh did you see so it actually helps the promotion now um i think the big word there for the ufc is a promotion if you're dealing with people from other sports environments you have to be careful that you've got the integrity of the sport as well um to consider but that's uh there we go that's me sounding professional <laughs> oh, thanks for that chaps I, I promise this isn't all negative i'm just interested from like a technical side Obviously, we don't really see it from like when we're watching BT or Sky or whatever, but when there's a technical hiccup, um, say your mic stops working or your earpiece stops working, how do you like naturally adapt to that? Um, like, are there any techniques that the, the production team yeah. uses to cover up a mistake like that? Well, I'll give you one from when you're stood in the middle of a ring or stood on a microphone or stood on a camera, which is, and I've made the mistake actually and had people back in a truck give me a kick. You just got to keep talking. So if I'm talking away or looking at a camera or doing an announcement or introduction and there's a problem with the microphone if i stop and they get the mic back up they won't hear whether it's working or not and what's more they haven't really got too many ways of cueing me back in so i've just got to keep plowing on through and allow them to pick up um and then everyone watching at home will know it's a technical problem but but it's just the the technique and the training there is you just keep keep going forward until someone shouts in your ear or they'll cut away from you yeah i've had a, a couple of these <clears throat> i've had a couple of things happen to me both in the on the commentary desk and presenting so absolutely uh, echo what andy was talking about it was early in my ufc days and i was doing some on-camera stuff and in the very same broadcast i was guilty of throwing to a feature no 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 not, not throwing to a feature throwing to probably Andy in the octagon before the truck and the producers were ready for me to do that. So I'd I decided the timing and I don't know why I did that. Maybe it's because I felt like I'd run out of steam and they uh, got back to me very quickly. Yeah, don't ever do that. We cue we Andy, not you. So I learned my lesson, but then it was even worse. Well, it wasn't actually my fault this time. We then were on camera and I got told that we had like, what one more question or something like that but then I never got a cue to to throw it to the next feature so I just carried on talking and all of a sudden I looked down and and the feature was playing and then I had the producer in my ear going like going crazy like what are you doing uh god rest his soul Bruce he said what are you what are you doing I said you didn't cue me Bruce like earlier on I got told off quite rightly so that I'd thrown it too early and now you didn't give me a cue. So I just carried on asking the questions and he's like, you didn't hear me cue you? No. And he did it a couple of times that night. And it turned out there was a sticky button in the truck and it wasn't depressing or or something like that. But he came up to me after and said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, I got a bit agitated with you. It was all my fault. I, I actually wasn't pressing the button or there was a problem with the button. So that was one, that, and as I say, that was early on, probably 2014. So we're going back a little while. And then I've had a situation where it was like a, an F1 pit stop where the commentary desk, the mixer, was faulty. And I don't know if it was like a communication thing back to the truck or whether we couldn't hear them. So we collectively, I think it was Dan, Dan Hardy, Paul Feld and myself, we then had the sound engineers run in at one point and swap over two sets of uh, commentary mixers. So unplug us and plug us back in. 
in super quick time. And it was very impressive the way that they did it. But it was all hands on deck. But when you've got live fighting going on, they've got to time that moment, just like you would do trying to time uh, a promotional script. But we, we got away with it. So, yeah, you just have... Listen, it is what it is. You have to accept the moment. You have to be a professional and carry on. Just always assume that the mic's alive and that you're rolling and keep on talking. That leads me on nicely to my next question. Sorry, I feel like I'm just bombarding you guys. No, no, it's all good. In terms of prep, so obviously we see people like Bruce Buffer, Michael Buffer in the boxing, holding these big prep cards, right, when you're reading out like a fighter's record or, or something like that. But I'm always fascinated by like the, the, the colours and the, the, the highlighting and like, basically I want to know like how do they cram so much in and also retain that information? Like, is it, is it just like a, a natural thing where they, they read the card and it's, it's the same card every week so they can kind of pick it up? But do, do they do it themselves? Like, yeah, so make a big distinction here. What John does in terms of preparation, being able to call up stats, facts, histories, anecdotes, wife's names, um, you know, training partners, all that kind of stuff is a very different process. And the reason is there is a narrative that he can follow or a commentator can follow. Meanwhile, the play by play is going to do the analytics of what you're seeing right in front of you. So if you like, John, John would set the scene and, um, you know, in the instance you mentioned, Paul Feld will do the technical analysis of what's happening as you watch it um, to give a deeper understanding for viewers realistically, Bruce, Michael, myself, Jimmy Lennon Jr., Joe Martinez, whoever, you've got a very specific window to say something very specific and in a way that you're trying to basically dramatise what is, you know, it's Tom. You know, so what you need to do is ensure, and I'll, you know, describe the card, you would use a different font, you'd have a different... uh, uh, font, colour, size, shape, structure, in order that you know exactly, for example, the weight, how many wins, losses, draws, no contest they've had, um, not only the weight of the contest, but what they weighed in at, because that's a crucial part in terms of, uh, in particular when it comes to UFC and purses. Then you have where they're from, or let's say they're a Brazilian training out of American top team, where they're fighting out of, and then you've got their name, their nickname. So although it seems like a very small amount of information by comparison to what John would have, you've got a minute to do it. You need to hype it. And also, as John mentioned, you've got a producer shouting in your ear, go. You've got set cues, times to turn around. You also need to put on a show. Um, You know, we did the O2 in London and you've got... um, uh, John, do you remember who fought that? Was it Jimmy Manua? And Alexander Gustafsson. I think it was. Oh, no, I'll tell you what it was. It was... um, uh, Bisping Silver. Okay. So you, fight. Yeah, and, and you're turning around and before you do the intro to the fight, A, you've got Michael Bisping, B, you've got Anderson Silver. So you're already in the zone. And then you look uh, cage side and you've got Damien Hurst, Charlie Hunnam, Guy Ritchie, and you've got a one-minute slot to dramatise the hell out of the fight that everyone's queued to see and 16,000 people are cheering for. So the reason you have that card is less for um, explicit detail you know, read out, it's more, I know Michael Bisping is, I know his fight record, I know where he's from, but you want to be able to look down and make sure you absolutely smash it because these aren't song lyrics. They change each time depending on the fighter. So, so I, funnily enough, when I started, I got Bruce's cards and pretty much copied the format. And then you go on to adapt it according to your, um, you know, style. And also there's various sponsor elements. Are you looking at a camera? You don't want to be reading someone's details out when you're staring down the lens of a camera. So you need to then know how it's going to be shot um, in order that when you're looking down the lens, you're not, um, when you should be looking down the lens, sorry, you're not reading off a piece of paper because that's the moment of connection with the audience. So it's, it's look, I'm reading out stuff loudly. I'm not in there to get punched in the face. I'm not like a Mark Goddard or a Rich Mitchell or a Herb Dean having my career judged by a load of other judges and they're making life and death decisions. I'm just reading some shit out, Tom. <laughs> so, so let's let's not dress it up. But there is both an art and a science to it. Um, and clearly, you know, the baseline of that is the more experience you've got, um, the better. I kind of wanted to ask you this question later, but I'm just going to go for it now. It, it's a bit more of a personal question to both of you, but you, you've both been at some of like the, the biggest venues, not just in terms of the UFC, but the world stage, right? Um, 
I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite arena? And more preferably, what's the, what, why is it your favorite arena? Like, is there, a, is there a specific moment or is there something technical about it that just makes your life a lot easier? You go, Johnny. Hmm. I, I, I've, I've been asked this before and I, I can't help but be influenced by the city. So I'm, I love Sydney. In actual fact, I love Australia. So going to work in in Australia, Sydney or, or Melbourne, I'd say more strongly Sydney. I'm, I, I just love that place. But actually, when you now you're asking specifically the ve- the venue, I'm thinking, well, I don't actually it's a, it's not nondescript, but there's nothing particularly redeeming about it. I'll tell you where is special. And that's the globe in Sweden. That's a, it is exactly how it sounds. It's a globe shaped building. So the it's very steep and you look up at it and it feels like the fans are literally hanging over you and the acoustics in there are pretty in, pretty in, pretty amazing and i remember that moment obviously it it's uh, punctuated by big moments and when gustafsson like won against glover Teixeira in the fashion that he did and then he proposed to his then girlfriend so just the way that the place lit up was very special. The O2 is is a special place. It's London. London is home. I remember the very first time I would have been there with Andy and, and Dan walking through the hallway and just seeing all of the big acts that have been there. And again, I think I've said this before, not that I consider it that I'm one of those acts in that building. Of course, it's not going to be like Dan, Andy and I with our pictures on the wall and our uh, respective autographs. However, you do feel like you're you're standing in the same sort of spot that some of these megastars were, and and it just also underlines the the level that you're operating at. If you're on that say in the same premises as you know some of the biggest stars, you're like, well, I, I'm clearly going in the right direction here, but it can get a little overwhelming. And the O2 is a huge, huge building, so that's I think for me. Those two uh, in particular, but I do like going down to down to Sydney. Oh, so O2 check. It's just easy. It's local. It's good. It's got crisp sound system, um, and everyone's there on top of you. Um, the MGM Grand in Vegas. When we all got launched, we went out to see. Um, it was UFC one seventy. That's right. Ronda Rousey. Ronda. Uh, Ronda Misha Tate? No. No. Uh, no. McMahon. Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon. But just to be in that arena when you've also got the vibe of what's going on around it in Vegas. Um, and obviously that night and she was on a tear and it was awesome. Um, so I think I'm a big fan of, as John said, the city kind of builds towards just the physical arena. As a producer, I know a lot of arenas. Some are um, renowned for their storied histories but in reality are shitholes if I'm honest and so what you make look good on the camera or for part of the production is half the challenge um, but then there are other venues that um, we've produced uh, Eurobasket which is the big European basketball championships and there's a stadium in Helsinki which has got saunas where you would imagine corporate boxes are so <laughs> the sauna is part of the corporate thing. box and so I didn't uh, we worked there but I didn't um, host anything there and I didn't get to sit in the hot sauna watching the sport but that's an ice hockey arena so you know that there's a real kind of history and a vibe going on um, and then and it's it's tricky because and John I don't know if you agree with me on this but often it is about the people so the three arena in Dublin oh my god it, now it's I'm sorry three arena it's just not the most spectacular arena the OB compound is right onto a kind of crappy little backyard that goes straight onto the river it's there's not loads of space there's not changing room areas and all that kind of stuff there was nowhere there was nowhere for us to get prepared I remember being in a in a room a a curtained off room with with the ice I was about to say was there a curtain (laughs) well I'll tell you a funny story if you next want to get on um uh you want to go to instagram and look up barbara pedrotti she was a co-presenter at the uh ix no not ix juventus stadium in torino 
um, for a Europa League final. And let's just say she and I were in next door disabled toilets, me pulling on a very expensive suit. And if you, and if you look at Barbara Pedrotti, you'll get a pretty good idea of what you think she might have been wearing in front of 40,000 screaming Italian football fans. But that's when you kind of go, it's not all glamour in this business, boys. And that's largely based on the stadium. But my point about the three arena, and I'm not high on Connor or Ireland or, you know, Irish fight fans, you, you're inside that arena, you are in the centre of the fight world. It's just like you are... And I'm sure Madison Square Garden's got the same experience. Um, yeah. You know, there are just places where the vibe, the people, the history, you walk in, your experience getting from the airport. And particularly, and I'm also saying from all sports events, you can go to some in the middle of Brazil where the entire city knows exactly what's happening. Um, you can go to others in major cities in London or Europe or America and no one knows what's going on. You're just another 30,000 people doing something in a corner. So, so that, that has a large part to play. Um, but bluntly, most stadiums in the world I've been to and worked at um, are pretty antiquated, um, pretty 1970s concrete, Yeah. pretty hard to, to pull together. What you see on TV is the result of a shitload of work and loading in and technical design and rigging and lighting. <laughs> so... You kind of touched on it there a bit about like the atmosphere, and I kind of wanted to ask you that on like an off the cuff moment when either someone like an Anderson Silva front kicks uh, Vitor Belfort or whatever. Like obviously you're in the moment, like something magical has happened in front of you, um, and then obviously like the media go on about it. And there's, I mean, I guess it's kind of easier now with social media because it's so instant. But when you're actually in that moment and you witness something so great. I mean, I'm asking you what's it like because I haven't experienced it yet, but genuinely, what is it like watching something like that live at something that you've helped create? Um, just briefly, and John, you obviously have got a shed load of fight experience at those moments. I mean, zillions. You've got a T-shirt brand based upon your response to someone doing a... I don't even know what to call it. What was it? A spinning heel kick? Yeah, something of that nature, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but if you go to the Champions League final at Wembley and you've got a mic in your hand and you've been to the rehearsal and you know Lionel Messi's going to be playing a Barcelona shirt against Man United, you know to anticipate something. So you are not unarmed going into these experiences, but I do think context is everything and you are in the moment, as John will say, he's doing a job, I'm doing a job, you know, the lighting man, the cameraman, the producer, everyone's doing a job and I think it's afterwards you know, the closing credits roll and you go back to the broadcast truck and pick up a beer and you're like, fuck, you know, that happened. Um, and social media or no social media, you do, you you have those moments of, and look, for me, Tom, selfishly, I'm given a great privilege of, I get to stand in the cage. So at the beginning of a Michael Bisping Anderson Silva fight, it's the two legends of the sport. It's, uh, was it Herb Dean or Mark? Um, Herb. And, yeah, and you got you got me sticking um, basically a microphone under Herb's armpit in order that he can read final instructions. So I've got. Oh, I wanted to ask you another. It's a bit of a sorry to interrupt. It's a bit no, of a dirty no. question, right? But who's got the dirtiest armpits? No, no, I was. No, it was it was along those lines because obviously body odor and sweating and if they've been I don't know refing a couple of other fights beforehand. Yeah, it must get pretty nasty. <laughs> <sighs> there are some fighters that will not deodorise themselves on purpose. Really? <laughs> that has happened. Do you, do you remember the... Uh, I used to be a lot more involved in boxing. I don't know if you remember, there was a great line. Um, David Hay was fighting Nikolai Valuev, seven-foot-one guy. Um, there was a whole precursor to it with Adam Booth wearing almost gothic boots in order that he could do pads at a height that David Hay's punching upwards. You know, <laughs> David's what... Then's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and he's fighting a 7'1 guy. But in the big run-up, David just said, the word around the campfire is you don't want to get too close to Nikolai Valuev. And I think, uh, yeah, John has just highlighted, it's often a tactic. It can be a tactic, yeah. I'm sure there are a few of them that stink. Um, I can't think of many who stink. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we don't have to ex explicitly, uh, you know, divulge that kind of secretive information yeah but Tom I think there's another aspect which is particularly the weigh-ins right you are 
I'm a reasonably good Nick guy, right? I, I stay fit. I've got a bit of a belly at the moment. I'm certainly not on my fighting weight. But when you're standing there next to trained fighters in immaculate condition who have cut weight from walk around at 185 down at 170 and they're stripping off to get weighed in, looking immaculate, pristine, you've got other things on your mind rather than who's wearing Sontau 33 or Old Spice. <laughs> it's like you are, you are looking at these awesome specimens. And look, if you've ever walked into a room where uh, a whole bunch of fighters are getting ready for a weigh-in, there is the smell of fear, anxiety, farting, body odour. There's testosterone. There's a rich, thick atmosphere that once you smelled it once, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Come on. If any, if any of you boys have ever played sport, you go into a changing room, it's deep heat and a bit of sweat and piss and farts. Yeah. But Least when, deodorant, yeah. Yeah, when you, when you go into a a room full of and it's usually what yeah. 12 fight cars you've got 24 guys split up in two areas they've got coaches they've been warming up sweating down there's a there's a oh this is war this is what <laughs> smells like war. <laughs> um I'll, I'll open the floor as well if there are any others uh any others for any more just raise your hand and we'll be happy to answer some questions i'm going to throw some stuff Andy's way as well. That doesn't doesn't mean you can't ju- jump in as well, Tom, if if you if you like. But Andy is someone that's worked both uh, on the production side, but also has been in in front of the camera. What are a lot of the errors that the I hate the word, but we all know what it means that the talent make that you've picked up on since being the guy who's kind of running the show. Okay, so I've got a couple of my gems that I've always stuck to. One is always read the audience before the script. Um, So if you have to say certain things, that's fine. But if you say them at the wrong time or you're interrupting something else or you are um, almost ticking the box to get something done, it kind of comes across that way. Whereas, you know, the knowing wink or the nod or the smile or the the shrug and it doesn't have to be too knowing you know it doesn't have to be Keith Lemon saying roll VT do you know what that means VT it, it can just be a bit more casual but but um, the master of it actually is Gary Lineker who just he's just so in the moment he's so chilled on screen he knows what he's saying he knows if he gets it wrong he'll correct it um, and, and I think I've started to really appreciate good presenters um, and, and I think the other part I would say is there's a distinct difference between a live arena presenter who's talking to a a stadium full of people versus someone who's talking down a small camera um and and i think you know just to lean back on acting um for a second if you're on the stage at the globe theater trying to talk or communicate with people who are 40 meters away you will be using large gestures think operatic waving of hands and you know making it you're trying to tell a story with your body if you're close up on a screen you're trying to tell a story with your eyebrow raise. You think Marlon Brando. So if you apply that to them presenters about what they're saying, how they're saying it, they need to be cognizant of who they're talking to. That's why I always suggest read the audience before the script. Yeah, you make a, a really good point now. I've I've been studying with my downtime away from the microphone. I've been studying. Uh, sorry, I'm just adding uh, Sammy up here. Little bits and pieces, technical bits to how I can improve my own game. And you were talking there, Andy, about uh, gesticulation. And if you're on the stage, you should use all of the stage. However, if you're in front of a lens, don't rock, don't wave too ferociously. Uh, there's, There's bad etiquette. Don't eat the microphone, keep the microphone in a certain position. So they are actually very different in the way that you would approach those those different disciplines um i'm going to follow up though andy and talk about comedy and humor and it's something that i believe is often overlooked when it comes to speaking moderating things of that nature and i know that we've had lots of conversations around the use of more fun stuff when it came to mixed martial arts and if i'm honest we're going back a little while where I th- we hadn't really ticked off a lot of the serious stuff before the fun stuff, but the fun stuff is a route 
to getting to the serious stuff. And I know that you're you have expertise in that that way. I'm not saying you're a comedian, but I think that you would you would certainly echo that point. Yeah, and I think it's about um, classic comedy timing that if you've got something funny to say and it comes to you um, as a piece of improvisation and you, it feels right and you go for it, then great, you do or don't get a response and you learn that way. And I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I'm sure they do that way as well. I think the crucial part is you shouldn't be telling gags or trying to lighten something that is serious because it means a lot for the athlete and the fan. Um, I mean... I'll give you a good example, and it was it was one of my better lines, if I'm honest. We did a... Uh, it might have been, actually, that Conor Brandau... Oh, it was. It was the Conor Brandau in Dublin. Um, you know, uh, historical day, historical moments. Um, but Luke Barnett as a guest. So if you remember Luke, English fighter, 6'3", um, 6... Three, six no, he's tall, wasn't he? He's about 6'4", six, 6'6". Six, six. Big lad, yeah. Um, yeah. And loved his suits, pocket squares, you know, very dapper. Also, didn't really care what other people thought of him. And I think he had a deal with Google Glass. If you remember Google Glass, those crazy glasses. Oh, yes. They threw up on one lens um, the kind of equivalent of a search screen. But then it also had a camera of what you can see and obviously a bit of built-in um, AI, which was the precursor to Alexia, Alexa or Siri. So I'm setting the scene. You've got a six-foot-six guy on a stage wearing Google Glass, all week, everyone had been like, Luke, you look like a bit of a dick, but he was 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> I wanted to tell him. So he sat on stage. Some kid gets up. It's a beautiful moment if you can find it on Fight Pass and goes, Luke, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, help yourself. How does it feel to be in a country where everybody hates you? 3,000 Irish fans burst out laughing. And all I could think of, <laughs> the, comedy, the comedy line, I just looked at Luke and I went, Google Glass, delete. <laughs> right, so you can find those little moments, but what I would say is that section of the UFC was all about entertainment and fun. Um, Any time else, you've got to take it seriously, respect what all these guys have been through, and that the fans don't want your gags. Yeah, no, noted. Um, Sammy, I think you were first up. Have you got a question, something to add? It was a question more than anything. I was wondering, like, when it comes to challenging certain individuals that you're into let's say some let's take a Colby Covington for example he's obviously putting on this bravado and an act I mean where do you guys sit in terms of like if you don't agree with something he says do you do you challenge it there and then or is there like in the part of your mind by doing that you may I don't know let's just say upset Dana for example if he sees that you are asking questions in a not aggressive way but you know, if you're going to just answer back, if, if Colby's given you a ridiculous answer back, do you keep up being polite, or would you actually go and? I don't know. It's, it's a strange question. I know it's more. It's like the line of how do you challenge people, I guess, without val- upsetting them in a weird way. It's, it's a valid question, Sammy. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect my boy John by saying the key part about the UFC versus many, many, many other sports is it is a promotion. So you're not there to catch out or to diminish or to change Colby's act, if that's his vibe. And John calls him out. John ends up looking a bit foolish. It's it's more a case of, as a promotion, you want everyone talking about you. If he wants to be a silly goose, let him be a silly goose. I think when it comes to um, other sports or other interviews, people tend to be a bit less reluctant to play a particular role they're very much you know classic footballer rugby player you know the lads did well take each game as it comes so in defence of John um, ahead of his answering you, you're kind of shooting down someone who you want to promote um, so you're not doing anyone any favour or service in that instance not just Dana yeah no you're right Andy I think that the Always. the the easy way to explain it is in that role in that particular situation i'm employed by the ufc so it's not about me and and rarely as a moderator as a presenter as a lead commentator it's not about me either it's it's about someone else so you're there to facilitate now there's nothing wrong with getting someone to elaborate on a point or actually move along um much contrary to what i was saying earlier with my experience with cajun johnson and 
and CM Punk, you do sometimes have to you have to get to a point where it's not going to do anyone any good. So it's worth interjecting. But if if we consider, was it Tyron Woodley and Colby? No, no, it was Usman, wasn't it? And Colby on the desk. And Karen was there, just let it go. Because at the same time, there are some wonderful moments for television, uh, for further promotion. And like, who are you to, you're not a head teacher. You're there, it's an entertainment show as well. So you do you do have to be a bit careful. It, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky ground. It really is. And, it, and it's one that I would have to try and gauge in the moment just to see, you know, if it's politically incorrect, then I think, you know, if I felt very uncomfortable with something, then I would just try and move it along. Sometimes you have your producers as well. Let's not forget that you're not out there by yourself. You have a producer in your ear. And if they're quiet, then they're probably allowing it to go. If they start screaming and shouting at you to shut it down, then you you damn well better shut it down and quick. But Sammy, take and Colby, Colby's a great example. Everyone knows he's playing the role, right? So if he wants to play the role, that's fine. But if John was interviewing him, or I am, or someone else is, and they kind of, it just loses a bit of momentum, it's very easy to, to kind of blindside the fighter and go, look, Magra hat aside, tell us about your training camp and it's very difficult if you're putting someone on the spot in that regard professionally and respectfully for them to go no 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 I don't want to talk about my training camp I want to talk about you know they you can steer them away from the role sometimes respectfully and I think as John said a producer will give you that you'll instinctively know when the time is right that's interesting I just it was for me is always thinking about that side of things it's like as a as a commentator it's kind of like either you're going to make the fighter look bad and you're in a way yourself look not not good as in more noticed as a commentator in a strange way obviously asking not the difficult questions but not the same generic because you know a lot of them sometimes it is just when you see these media conferences that they hold the UFC is a lot of the same questions are being asked the same fighters constantly and I just noticed that it's the ones who ask the not, not so much the more difficult ones not to make the fighter look bad or anything I feel like get noticed in a strange way a lot more does that make sense yes but I think also there's a you, you know what you're getting into right if you go to a um, let's take Graham Norton great example Graham Norton show he has a bunch of guests on and they want to book people who give good talk show you know let's get Hugh Jackman back in because he'll sing us a song he'll stand up he'll kiss an audience member let's get Tom Cruise on the red carpet he'll do a selfie he'll play the game and likewise, if you're talking to Masvidal, you're going to get a line. If you're talking to Bisping, you're going to get a line. If you're talking to, um, you know, obviously Connor, he's primed and ready. So you need to be ready to give them the platform to spout some piece of media beautiful soundbite that will be socialised and distributed and shared all over the world. If you're talking to a boring fighter, and we don't have to name them, there are a lot of them, you therefore are going to play a slightly straighter bat and you're not going to give them as much space, and you're going to stick on topic. Um, because, and look, I'm being... Damien Myers' jiu-jitsu is far more interesting than Damien Myers' sound bites. So you're going to steer him towards <laughs> tech, technique versus, you know, Connor, as I said at the beginning of this uh, clubhouse, he, he just grabbed the mic and he'll go for it, and you just let him do that because he's, he's brilliant at it. <laughs> Yeah, Sammy, you've got to be careful about uh, just, I don't know if it, this is an area that you're looking to get into, but you say like asking the more difficult questions. Sometimes being too smart will bite you in the ass. Um, I've seen it happen a couple of times where I've sat down with people and they've we've spoken about what they might ask and they've crafted this really interesting question that I, saw, I, I got it, but it wasn't that obvious and... And it just fell flat on its face. It was like, well, I'm glad we asked that because we got nowhere with it. So I know why the questions that we hear are often asked. I'm I'm not going to speak badly of my media counterparts who attend a lot of these things. But yeah, you, you're right. You hear similar sorts of things. And that's, you know, I, I think with some in different for, forums, you get to ask different questions, which is why I like to visit fighters in their in their own environment, if you like, at their home gym, where they're more comfortable. Um, if you can get them in their own home, it's even better. 
and you can actually interact with the environment as well. So you you can you can work off of different points when you're when you're asking these questions. But it is a more sterile environment when when you're at a press conference. And yeah, it's but you've got to be careful not to go too difficult because then it become you don't want it to be so challenging for someone to answer that you completely shut them down or you grind the press conference to a halt. But I do, I do feel like there could be some more skillful um, questioning in these, in some of these types of forums. Yeah, Sammy, I think the other important part, and it's an old communications um, theory, actually, which is the message is the medium. So without going into explaining it in too much depth, because it will bore everybody. Um, in essence, if John sits down with um, Jack Manson at his gym. He's expecting John to ask him questions about his training, his personal life, his family setup, his ambitions. Whereas if you put him in front of a crowd at a Q&A when he's not fighting, then you're expecting that environment to be a bit more jovial, laughing, joking. So, um, you know, if a, if a fighter is interviewing another fighter, um, in the case of, you know, DC or Felder or whoever, um, they can ask technical questions about the fight, the progress, how they felt. I think it would be less um, uh, pertinent if Karen Bryant was to start asking questions about technique because she's a presenter. So it's about understanding as well what your role is, if that's something you're getting into, and therefore what is a pertinent question. And to John's point about press conferences, look, um, there's some awesome guys in there, but, yeah, they're all trying to get a good story. They're trying to get the sound bite. They're trying to raise their profile in the industry. Um, and it wouldn't be perceived in a particular good way if they stood up and almost asked a question out of the paradigm of a press conference because everyone else would be like, what are you wasting your time for, mate? So there's pressures on all of us. Thank you, guys. No, that, was, that was an incredible. I appreciate it. No, Thanks. not at all. Are you planning, uh, Sammy, is that your world? Are you trying to get in or are you trying to get out? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I was half trying to get in. You know, was, um, I'm randomly in aviation, so it's a very different field, but very big MMA fan have been for quite some time and I've always been told that broadcasting would be something I'd be quite good at in a strange way and um, obviously I've been watching these conferences now for years and years and years and obviously there's been this massive evolution in them and obviously with the SPM coming on board obviously there was a big financial boost and if you compare it to Bellator and all the others it's, there's, there's obviously night and day difference between them but I just found it more, more interesting obviously you see the same kind of not commentate, not commentate, it's not the right word, because some of them are just obviously interviewers asking the questions, but you're right, that at home and or in their gym, it's completely separate. I just felt like sometimes you watch the questions and you feel like, have these questions been given to them to ask? And they know the answer already in a, in a weird way, like the easy questions. And that's why I always wondered. It's just like, I wonder if people actually ask. Them so if you, if you ever so slightly take a... a more different, like, not the... Not, not, the smart questions. I'm not but, being like that. Think, no, no, think, but think from a, just a slightly fractured view. Sorry. If you're writing for MMA Junkie or you know Bloody Elbow or whoever, your question has to be getting the insight as to who the winning fighter wants to fight next, or what did you find surprising, or you know, tell us about X Y Z incident because that's the key part. You, you've got to then try and sneak in. I'm sure your quirky question about. You know, what was the thing with your hands behind your back or, you know, what did you say at this point in secret to your coach? But they've got a duty to report the news, so they are going to ask the formulaic questions about um, the broad, recognisable questions to get the right answers and then go for the quirk. Yeah, well put, Andy. Yeah, they need to get the like the body of the, the article, uh, which, which is the low-hanging fruit, typically. Um yeah. Now, this is it, isn't it? That's the thing I was about to say. Like, it's, they've become so. I don't know if it's been very recent, but I noticed it in particular in the last couple, like year and a half, especially on Instagram in particular. Now, the, those key, like even everyone's putting them out. The ESPN would always drop them out there. Just a very quick question with their answer, but obviously it benefits the commentators asking that question because they're getting brought up and reshown and tagged, and then they're getting refollowed. Yeah. Um, no, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm probably going to butcher your name. Is it Noam? Noam, I'm really sorry if I've got that wrong. Do you have a, a question for Andy or myself? Oh, yeah. Uh, hi, John. Sorry, I had to pull over. I'm, I'm in the, I was on a free arena. But, uh, uh, um, so I was just wondering, 
Robert, so, um, what are your thoughts on former like MMA fighters transitioning into the commentary um, section? Like, like, for example, a, g- a good example would be um, a Michael Bisping. Um, uh, I think his debut uh, commentary was, I think, in Brazil with you. I, I forgot. I forgot the. I, I forgot the, um, the the main event, but um, uh, it was in Brazil, and he had like an incredible um, debut. I actually loved his commentary. I loved his uh, you know reactions to, uh, to 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 you know hits. So it was really cool. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Can I can I jump very quickly into set John up? Which is just known to. And first of all, thank you for putting it over on the freeway. That's responsible action. Um, but <laughs> just to make the clear distinction, so. A commentator, this is my view as a producer as well, a commentator like John is the one who's done super deep research into backstories, previous matchups, histories. You know, this is the first time in championship round, that's the fastest knockout in UFC history, blah, 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 blah. But it's a, a deep, rich um, way of bringing to life these characters. And let's be honest, if you're not interested in the character, you don't care whether they win or lose. You then transition into the style or the role of a Dan Hardy, a Michael Bisping, a Paul Felder, a DC, uh, to an extent a Rogan, who are talking about the technique, about the experience of being a fighter and, and giving you a much better understanding as a fan and a viewer about what you are actually seeing. You know, he's now transitioning there. He's moved his leg there for this reason. Um, he will be feeling X, Y and Z at this point. Um, and I think it's just before John gives you his view, I just want to make that distinction that they're very different commentary roles one is play by play um, and the other is what would you call yourself mr gooden well i'm play yeah i'm a play by player or a lead and then the other guy is the the color or the analyst you're all color analyst Uh, i think i would i'd say i I really do i really like it so come coming up through grassroots mixed martial arts i was i was lucky to be paired with uh, either former fighters or or active fighters who could give you a really good perspective on what was happening. But as you climb up through the shows, and I went from like Watford Coliseum, which is the city that I live, like in a town hall, if you like, to then... Say again? It's not a city, mate. Come on, Watford. Okay. (laughs) And then then we we move up to uh, like Cage Warriors, where you start talking about like European level stuff so now you really need to have a fighter that has traveled because otherwise like you're not giving me as many places to go and it sounds like i'm bashing on a guy called josh palmer who i did a majority of my cage warriors work with and it really wasn't his fault but i had had more fight experience um than josh had he was a a very competent grappler so it, it worked because he had a wonderful vocabulary he was super keen for the sport, but I could never ask him what it was like to get front kicked in the face, elbowed in the temple, or what it was like to make the walk. And these are all elements that help me out when I'm trying to paint that picture that Andy was saying, not just about the individuals, but the environments and what they are embarking upon, because it is very unique and some people just will never get to feel that. So it's nice for them to get a description from someone who has trodden the boards. And then you you mentioned Michael Bisping. Like, there are very, very, very few sports people in general that have been on the kind of roller coaster ride that Michael Bisping has. Like, he, there's not a lot that he hasn't gone through or done. So I can literally ask him anything and he'll have an answer, he'll have an anecdote, he'll, he'll certainly have an opinion. Um, so it's very, I think it's very important for organisations like the UFC to have notable uh, champions or veterans that can add those tones to a broadcast so that when, you know, uh, Jorge Masvidal is walking out to a rematch, very like on... Or even if Jorge Masvidal walking out to that first fight with Usman, he's taken that championship opportunity on six days' notice. Well, guess what? Michael Bisping took his um, 
his uh, championship winning performance on what was it 10 days notice he was on a film set before not miles apart so i would really leverage that that point so that you could give a perspective of what jorge masvidal might be going through the pros and cons of that particular situation someone like bisping gives you that and just to also talk about bisping is he's he has uh, I didn't notice this until I worked with him, but you've got to think about his fight style. And he was such an energetic fighter, L- lots of volume, uh, as in lots of uh, like strike count. And if you listen to him now, he has lots of word count. <laughs> he doesn't seem to tire. He's always bringing energy. And, and of course, we cannot sell him short on he has a very polarizing personality and he uses that. And that's important. He's very authentic. And that's what makes him very good and why people like listening to him. But I, but I think to add to that, Noam, as well, um, I would argue that all of this is very natural to the fighters that are selected for those roles. So DC is a character and a leader. Bisping, as John said, is just a, a shit talker who knows what he's talking about. Dominic, um, an incredible uh, student of the game, and massively able to articulate exactly what's going on analytically, and also, you know, particularly recent comments, is able to stand his ground about his own views of the world. You know, Paul Felder, fun, still active. You, you kind of go through each of them has got their little nuance. And I'll, you know, flag Brian Stan. Um, I used to like Brian Stan. I love Brian Stan. He'd, he'd done there, he'd been, he'd done it, he was respected, he was a nice guy, but he was a bit wooden. No, how dare you? How dare you? Rinse your mouth out with soap, Andy Freelander. How dare you? You get into new audiences and they rock up and they see this kind of tall, straight-backed, you know, beige chino-wearing ex-military guy. Yeah, he's been there and he's done it and he's a super nice guy. But he was a bit boring. Oh, I don't know. You do need people with character. I don't know. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I get. I hope that answered your question. That was, uh, that's a good one. I enjoyed talking about those points. Um, well, I'm going to be um, a killjoy. I have a child to kiss goodnight. Mine, obviously. And, um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll keep it nice and brief. But um, just to say, I've, I've lost my uh, clubhouse virginity, not only to job, but Tom, Sammy, Noam, AF, Amano, um, Etienne, um, and uh, if you like events, sports, writing and comedy, AF Pan Day, hit me up on a direct message. To ask you about uh, It is AF. I beg your pardon. I'm just AF is my initial, so I figured it's AF. Um, AF, hit me up on uh, Instagram somehow uh, so we can have a chat because um, anyone who likes comedy, sports, events and works at the Olympics, we might have something in common. I think you definitely do. Has anyone got any more for any more or should we wrap this one up? I, I want to ask when we're seeing you bow-tie ringside next, John. Well, more, more probably cage-side or octagon-side, Andy. Jesus Christ, get the vernacular right. Um, I hope to be back this summer. Hashtag Jake Paul, mate. You take the gig when you get it. <laughs> oh, Ash just messaged me, Andy. He will, he'll hook up with you on Instagram. Um, I haven't been given the call yet, and that's not the UFC being funny. I just It's just a circumstance of the times. And until... They're confident they can put shows on internationally. I probably won't. <laughs> I won't get a run out. And it's it's. I'm finding it very hard at the moment. I, I won't lie. I see you guys are my friends right here. I I, I will not lie. I'll get Etienne's coming in. I'm I'm struggling a little bit because I love my job so very much, and I'm not really having a an opportunity to do it. But um, that will end, and the months will pass and I'll be back doing what I love, albeit probably with a little bit of cage rust. If you ask Dominic Cruz, it doesn't exist, but we shall find out. Well, I'm going to leave you with my predictions. I'm allowed to give them because I'm a complete punter. I'm not an expert in any way, um, but I just like to give you my quick predictions. They go like this. I think Usman potentially finishes Master Down. Controversial, but I second agree. I think, love how I do. I think Nama Junius, I'm afraid, doesn't doesn't make it through that fight. I think Zhang Weili is just too strong. And if I could do what the Americans call a parlay, it's all in, I'm going to go Shevchenko. So I've called those three. If they come in, um, just drinks on the house. <laughs> Love it. Andy, thank you very much. Etienne, I'll, I'll, you, the floor is yours. Andy, you are free to leave whenever. And I thank you once again. We'll catch up. 
Thanks, John. And uh, I appreciate everything you do, brother. You're an awesome broadcaster, man. Just wanted to say that. Oh. I've never spoken to you in here before, but I am a big fan of yours. Just wanted to let you know. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. You can't, you can't compliment him as I'm leaving. Dude, you know, Sorry, you're, you're busting my... You're kidding me here. <laughs> Andy, you're, you're, you're the man, dude. Andy, I was trying to look for your Instagram because I heard Shay mention it, but I can't find the... It's it's Andy Friedlander. Just just to let you know, there's still in that. If you look at the digit count for Instagram, I still do have room for more people. A lot of people goes up to millions, trillions. I've still got a few more digits. (laughs) So, so don't come join the party. You're an early adopter, Etienne. Live the dream. I love you all. Definitely will take care, man. Look, he's gone. He's gone. Nice one. All right, people. Thank you very much uh, for stopping by. I have to apologise that I don't get super organised ahead of time. I, w- I thought I was meant to be interviewing Yuri Prohashka around this time, but that wasn't the case. I'm doing that next week. And the week before that, I was actually out in the field with Leon Edwards. So I, I aim to do this every Wednesday at eight. Uh, thank you for stopping by. I will be reposting this on YouTube eventually. Um, for those that are still in the room, I have a, a UK MMA fundraiser ongoing at the moment called Keeping the Lights On. I would appreciate eyeballs on that, sharing it. If you can spare the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be great. I am also uh, about to auction a load of items off in May. I'm probably adding a raffle as well. So lots going on. Keep across the socials. John Good UK. It has been my pleasure. Thank you once again. And I'll see you guys next week. Keep up some great work, John. Thank you very much. Cheers.